Good morning, everybody. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. Um, who here has had the blessed experience of food poisoning before? Was it, was it a great, good experience for you? <laughs> it was an unforgettable experience. We had uh, some people over to our house the other week um, for dinner, because we invite random people from the church over for dinner, and uh, we, the, we had chicken, and we opened up the chicken, and the chicken was kind of smelling a little funky. You know what I mean? And we were like, is it, but it was just faint funk. You know what I mean? It was like, is it just the packaging in it? Is it the actual chicken? We didn't know what to do. So we had to grill it up because you can't just test raw chicken by eating raw chicken. If you eat raw chicken, whether it's good or bad, is it good for you? No. <laughs> so we, we uh, just put um, two little pieces of chicken on the skillet and f- fried them up and ate them. And everything was fine. But it was really important that we tested the chicken for multiple reasons. One, we didn't want our guests, we didn't want to leave a bad taste in their mouth. Did that, that, yeah, good joke, good joke. Um, but we also didn't want to spend all this time preparing this food, which was then going to go into a salad. And then maybe if it was just slightly bad, but it was still bad, we were going to eat it. And then we would have thought it was a great meal. But then afterwards, maybe three, four hours later, our stomachs would have been doing something. Other parts of our bodies might have been doing something. And it wouldn't have been good. This thing that we designed and we desired to nourish us and to uh, give us health to some degree um, would have been doing the exact opposite of that, right? If we didn't test the chicken, uh, we would not have received the nourishment we wanted from it. So testing the chicken is important. Testing the chicken is important. Another story, anecdote from the life of the Boyers these past couple weeks. Um, so we're expecting, we have two girls, for those of you who don't know, t- don't know my wife and I, Naomi. Naomi, what up? Um, also, we're expecting twins, and in, in twin girls. And in preparation for the chaos that is about to happen in our house, we've been trying to uh, help our girls be self-sufficient a little bit more and clean up after themselves and all that, all that stuff that you're supposed to do as a parent. And we've been through various kind of trial and error about, like, what do we do in order to help them be obedient, to help them clean up their stuff so they don't go missing something, and then all of a sudden they want this thing and they're freaking out about it, but they can't find it because they didn't clean it up, so they have no idea where it's at. So last week I tried something. I'm not saying it was good or bad. I'm just saying I tried something. And it was this idea that I let them know, kind of, that I was going to help them clean up, but they needed to pay me something. And so I asked them to clean up. I asked them to obey their father's voice. They did not obey their father's voice. So I started cleaning up, and I took their Disney princess dolls, and I hid them. And they didn't know I hid them, and they didn't exactly know what was going on with me helping to clean up. They were like, huh, this is cool. Dad's helping us clean up, and Um, you know, he's not yelling at us, telling that we need to clean up right now. Dad's doing this. I was just like, well, I'm doing this because you had to pay me something. You had to pay me uh, as a consequence of your inaction. You had to pay me something, and that something was Disney princess dolls. That did not go over well (laughs) at all. Okay, so for future reference, it might be something good to, but just be prepared that if you ever take you know, the Disney princess dolls away from your, your four- and five-year-old, that chaos will ensue. Uh, Lana, bless her heart, just started weeping and was just like, I wish you were not part of this family, Dad. 
as she goes upstairs. And these are the things, as, as parents, too, like you mean good for them because you want them to grow into responsible adults. And there are certain times where you do this, and they definitely cannot see the benefit of it. Eden actually cocked her fist. <laughs> because we've been watching Justice League, which we are no longer watching Justice League, and she just had this, because she is very passionate. She feels very much um, injustice, even if it's her definition of injustice. And she didn't punch me or anything, but she's like, you're the meanest dad ever, kind of a thing. So there was these, these things that I did, these words that came back. But in trying to explain to them why I was doing it, they were very selective in their hearing. All they heard, all they felt, all they saw was that daddy was mean that daddy was doing this um, towards us because he was mean. While it was like, I was doing this, and it might have seemed mean, but I was doing this because I asked you to do something, and you did not respond. You did not, you responded with inaction. You did not respond in obedience to your father's voice. And I wanted them to clean up for good reason, so that we can have um, our house uh, in order, so that they know where their stuff is, so they can find it later. Um, but they did not hear that latter part. They did not hear the responsibility part as far as this word of truth that was happening amidst them. What they heard was that daddy was mean. It's not because I did anything wrong. It's not because of something that I did that this is happening. It's because my dad's mean. And as you work through this, hopefully as a parent, they'll start to see it come, I don't know, 20, 22 years later, that the, these things were hopefully beneficial to them. And, you know, we rely on God's grace in the midst of all those things. So, two anecdotes. Testing the chicken is important. And also, the idea of selective hearing. What are we actually hearing when a situation comes? Are we hearing the whole, or are we just taking out bits and pieces of this? This plays in today's word, because in 1 John 4 today, if you want to turn there, uh, John is talking about not testing the chicken, but testing the spirits. And he's also talking about how to test the spirits and the idea of, um, the broader idea of if something comes up, if some truth, if some word comes up and butts up against the way that you perceive life, that you perceive your inner world, your outer world, that you perceive other people, are we going to listen to that spirit of truth? Or are we just going to have selective hearing in the midst of, of that situation? Are we going to open up ourselves to receive God's goodness and even God's uh, discipline and follow him, or are we just going to keep going on our own way? So before we uh, get into, into the text, I want you to take a moment right now, and if you would close your eyes, this isn't going to be some weird, now we're going to reach out and pat each other's heads or anything like that. Close your eyes. I want you to think about your life right now, the past week, maybe today, the past month. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit uh, to speak to you in this place, and I want you to ask yourself and the Holy Spirit this. What is a truth that you wouldn't want to hear right now because it would disrupt your world too much? So it's a really broad question. Could be something to do with a relationship um, it could be something in our mind saying, like, there's no way God would ask me to do that. But would he? There's no way God would ask me to give up this thing. But would he? 
or is there kind of a voice in your head saying this 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 is what it is this just is what it is this is how it's always been nothing's going to change i'm used to the way it is i'm just going to settle for the way that it is so let's just take a moment and be quiet um, and listen for the spirit to speak to you father god we thank you for your graciousness towards all of us towards this world that you seek through your son, Jesus, to redeem. Uh, By your grace, God, we ask that we would have ears to hear when hard truths uh, come our way or just when a truth comes that would disrupt our inner world, our outer world. Would you give us um, a heart and mind to be able to discern the spirits? Would you lavish your love upon us so that... um, we would know and receive and stay close to to your inner being, to where you are. I pray today that we would see a a grander, a greater picture of Jesus through the scriptures and that uh, we would receive your love one way or another. I pray this in your name. Amen. So keep those thoughts in the back of your mind for a little bit later today. So leading up to 1 John 4, so the spirit of the Antichrist plays a, p- a part in this, so we'll be in 1 John 4 today, but we're going to kind of lead up to that for a minute. Um, the spirit of the Antichrist seeks to divide Christ. In Christ, there is this marriage of heaven and earth in the person of Christ. And one of the characteristics of the spirit of the Antichrist is to try to divide these things. It's try to take both of these things and either um, say this one doesn't exist or that one doesn't exist. Is there also this idea that um, Jesus doesn't matter and everything like that? Sure. But that spirit of the Antichrist is a lot easier to see, where it's just a flat denial of who Christ is. That's a little bit easier to see. But when the spirit of the Antichrist comes and he tries to divide Christ, that's where things get a little bit trickier. That's where testing is needed. That's where we need to be listening really carefully and we need to be seeking counsel and wisdom as far as all uh, of who Christ is. Because on one side of the world, we want to take Jesus and just his humanity and we want to say that he's a great teacher. He's a great moral teacher. He's, uh, he, he really helped the poor and everything else, but we kind of want to divorce the idea of anything supernatural happening with him. We want to say, no, those miracles, they were just kind of literary things to, you know, make the story come alive. That didn't really happen. That supernatural stuff, those kind of claims about him being God and him and the Father being one, that was just kind of, you know, so that the Christian movement could kind of get power behind it as it was starting this new religion. On the other hand, sometimes we want to see only the spiritual side of Jesus. The fact that he didn't uh, come as a person, that uh, in this merger of earth and heaven within him, in this marriage, that um, he was just, he just popped on the scene. He was just a spirit. He was just some kind of ghost or something. He wasn't actual tangible flesh. He wasn't tangible bone. He was something else. And those two things, the marriage and the merger of Christ, of earth, of Jesus, of heaven together are insanely important because that speaks so much, whether we know it or not, to who God is and who we are created to be both now and in the future in the new heaven and the new earth. 
So the spirit of the Antichrist would always want to come in and try to divide Christ, try to divorce Christ, try to take the, the earth and the heaven and rip them apart, whereas the story of Scripture is trying to have God with his people. The story of Emmanuel, God is with us, and not in these two separate realms where we're eventually going to be whisked out of one and put into the other, but this marriage and this merger and this renewal of all things through the blood of Christ. And that changes and affects the way we see because if we are worshiping Christ and if we are worshiping a divided Christ, we are going to start to take on those characteristics of the divided Christ. Because the things that we end up worshiping, the things that we end up paying attention to, the things that we end up taking our eyes and our hearts and our minds and looking at, gazing at, beholding, as the scriptures would say, that actually changes us. So the things that we worship, we become like them. And if we have an improper or a, I shouldn't say that word, a half-butt version of Christ, then that is going to affect us as well. Because we're not giving God all the glory, all the supremacy of who he is in Jesus Christ. And that's also informing the type of humans we're meant to be. So it's really important that we have this picture of Christ that is the picture of the true Christ and not a picture of this super spiritual non-flesh Christ or this idea of Christ that just came in the flesh, that there's no, nothing special about him. He's a Gandhi, he's a Buddha, he's this, that, he's one of the other religious leaders, but there's nothing special and supernatural about him. And so the spirit of the Antichrist wants to come in, and it doesn't uh, matter if we mean well, if our picture of who Jesus is is divided, we ourselves as people, as human beings, and the way God tried to create us to be, will be divided. In Christ, we see the marriage of heaven and earth, the redemption of the cosmos at hand. We become like what we worship. And so in 1 John, um, John is writing to actually assure his congregation, this area congregation, of the fact that they've actually held on to the true Christ really well. Because what happened is that there was these heretics, these people that were in this church that were saying, um, no, Christ actually didn't come in the flesh. And because Christ didn't come in the flesh, and because that's the image that we're seeing, that gave us as heretics, as these people that then came out of the church and separated ourselves from the church, that gave us certain license to lawlessness. Because we saw this Christ that was divided. Nah, he's not, he's not human. There's no flesh and bone. So that means as long as my spirit is in alignment, as long as my heart is in alignment, the things I do physically don't matter. The way I love Jake or the way that I love AJ or the way that I love John or the way that I love Nathan doesn't really matter. As long as my heart internally and I talk the good talk and I use good words, but We are to love not in word or talk, as John says. We are to love also in deed and in truth. And so the the, the remnant, the remaining, those that abided in the whole Christ are there, and they're they're kind of, they're worried because these people have separated themselves out, and there's this doubt within them. Did Did we do something wrong? I mean, how many people, one way or another, have left a church or have seen a church split or have been part of any of that um, within your lifetime. Most of us would raise our hand. We've been that one way or another. Maybe we left church for a good reason. Not to say that there's not a good reason to leave a church. Maybe we left church for a bad reason. But there's still this idea of like, we knew, I knew Jake and Steph. And now they're leaving and going somewhere else. Did we do something wrong? Did we hold too strongly onto this version of the whole Christ? Did we love them? Should we have listened to them more? 
And so the church is doubting. And John comes in and is assuring them that you guys did well. You do not need to listen to the false gospel of that divided Christ that they said. And in fact, them proclaiming that and then leaving us was just to show that they were never really part of us. And that might be a sad thing relationally, but it also provides a wholeness to the body. But the people are still feeling it, and they're even feeling their hearts condemning them. They're like, did we do something wrong? And, and John says that God is greater than our hearts. At the end of 1 John 3, he says this. And he says, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater. If there is something in our hearts, church, if there is something in our hearts, cornerstone, where we feel condemned by our hearts, we don't listen to our hearts over the Spirit of God. Oftentimes, oh, let me back up. We listen to our hearts too much. Now, for those of you who say, well, I have no problem with that because I never listen to my heart. I doubt that. And probably you thinking that means that you actually listen to your heart a lot. And what I mean is that we should listen to our hearts, okay? But the voice of our heart is not the same as the voice of the Spirit of God. They are two separate voices. Should we listen to our hearts? Should we see what they have to say? The cries that are coming out in joy and agony and pain and sorrow and praise? Absolutely. Because they point to something. But oftentimes, more often than not, we need to hear that cry of the heart and then hear God's spirit speak into it. Our hearts are not the same voice as God's spirit. There are two different voices there. You should listen to both voices, but you should only really listen and submit to one, and that's the Spirit of God within us. Because he is going to speak the word of truth. So when our hearts condemn us, and in this situation, did we do the right thing? Should we have let them go? Should we have tried to keep them here more? And John's like, no, God is greater than your hearts. I'm letting you know that everything is in alignment, but my heart still doesn't feel. I need to submit to the truth of God's Spirit. And if the authority is put around me, you love these people well. They left because you stood and abided in the whole Christ. And what, what a beautiful picture that is too, because a lot of times we think of church splits and everything as you guys need to leave. You guys need to leave or we, the true ones, are going to leave and go somewhere else, right? But here, it was like the, the, the church uh, abided. They remained in the truth of Jesus. They didn't tell the heretics to get out of town which I'm not saying that would be wrong in, in all situ- situations, but here they didn't say that. What they did is that they remained and they fought for the truth. They didn't flee. They didn't fight in a worldly way. They was like, no, this is the message that has been delivered to us. We're going to hold fast to this. And then what happened is that the false prophets, the false brothers, the false Christ then left, that they separated themselves John says in uh, 1 John 2, the fact that they made themselves evident by the fact that they left, that they were not really part of us. And that's a hard thing to receive, you know what I mean? Because we, we love those people. But there was something that was not jiving in the spirit, in the spirit of truth, that was really important. And they took themselves out and put themselves back into the world because John says that's actually where they were from. They were not from God. They were from the world. So cornerstone, our hearts are important. You should listen to your heart. Don't always submit to what your heart says. Listen for the voice of truth, the voice of the Spirit to speak to that feeling, to speak to that 
thing that's welling up inside of you. So 1 John 4, 1. So John comes off of this, talking about um, God is greater than our hearts, and we can have confidence uh, in his presence if our heart is in alignment, if our hearts condemn us, God is still greater. Um, and uh, we abide in his commandments to believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another, and he has given us the spirit. And we know that he abides in us because he's given us the spirit. But then he kind of has a check. He says, "For one, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits, he says. Just because we have a spiritual experience cornerstone doesn't mean that it's a true spiritual experience, right? Or let me, let me rephrase that. Just because we have a spiritual experience doesn't mean that it's from Christ. Doesn't mean that it's from God, right? Um, I was trying to think of different examples where we automatically assume where a uh, spiritual experience is, oh, I had the spiritual experience, so it's good. That's not always the case. Sometimes we want to say, if we have a large salary, that everything will be good. That's a good thing to have a large salary, that's not always the case. Um, one of the other ones that uh, education. We think because I have this diploma, because I have this college degree, then that automatically is a good thing and I am fully equipped to go into the world and work at a job that uh, this education has prepared me for. And are we seeing that? No. Food poisoning. We could have this delicious meal. We could take in this delicious meal, Right? could be a great experience as we're eating the food and eating the, the chicken and the salad and the blueberries and the roasted walnuts in there and everything else. But then afterwards, it could be actually a horrible experience where it didn't nourish us. It didn't give us the thing in the life that we needed. Instead, it made us upchuck and it was actually poisonous to us. It was actually poisonous to us. Similarly, there's true prophets, there's false prophets, there's true brothers, there's false brothers. There's true teachers, there's false teachers, false Christ, true Christ. And so just because we have the spiritual experience doesn't mean that it's actually from God. There are people that are having uh, better, more in-depth spiritual experiences than you are in your life. And that does not necessarily mean that they're with Christ. Do you hear that? We can't, there's something to the experience, the tangible nature of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, of experiencing his manifest presence, yes. But the experience in and of itself doesn't mean automatically that that's a good thing. That that's a good thing. So how do we know then true prophets, false prophets? How do we, how do we figure this out? And this was important to John because these Gnostics were saying that we come in the spirit of God, but it wasn't the actual spirit of God. That John's saying, you need to test the spirit that is here. Well, how do we test it? I know everybody's asking, how do we test the chicken? It's a good question. So 1 John 4, 2 to 3. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard and was coming, and now is in the world already. So John very specifically says that here's the test for you right now for, for the people of First John, is that if they say Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, that is not from the Spirit of God. And that might be something like, well, that's kind of a very generic test. Sure, that's a very generic test. But I think that even for us at Cornerstone today, we need to hear that over and over again, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. 
And so these things, these relationships, the way that we use and interact with our bodies, the things that they point to as far as our desires, all the things that happen in our brains and in our minds, they actually matter. It's not the spirit that is the true me that is somewhere else out there. And I'm going to shed this flesh at some point, And I'm going to be free from this, this body uh, that is a cage. Where in reality, the scriptures teach us that what we long for is actually the redemption of our bodies. That our bodies would actually be whole like they're supposed to be whole. And that means be physical. In a crazy way. Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus came in the flesh. So just when you hit somebody's hand or hug them or uh, shook their hand, Jesus was that real, okay? Jesus is not a concept or a philosophy or an idea. He is a person. And because Jesus, because God came in the flesh, what does that communicate? And I'm not answering this. I'm asking. This is, you know, for questions. Ask yourself, what does it mean that Jesus came in the flesh? What does that communicate about who God is? What does that communicate about who Jesus is? What does that communicate about who we are to be? Because he's not a philosophy, he's a person. He's not a concept or an idea, he's a person. And he interacted, he didn't, like when he was in uh, the temple, he took the table and he, and he flipped it. And that sound physically went throughout the whole temple. Like he didn't Jedi mind trick people being like, I'm going to flip the table. He didn't stop, and he wasn't like, I'm going to give a four-point sermon on why my, house, my father's house should be a house of prayer. Did he teach and not physically do stuff? Absolutely. Some of his miracles that he did, he did without touching anybody. But then there were some of the miracles where that he did where he took dirt and mud and spit, and he put it on somebody's eyes. There were miracles where he touched a leper. Leper, not leopard. There was no leopards. A leper. Like this idea of physical interaction in our world, what does that say about our world? Even in its twistedness, even if, even if it's uh, sc- screwed up, what is that saying? That Jesus came in the flesh. Spirit of the Antichrist wants to say that Jesus did not come in the flesh. I feel like a light's going to fall on me now. Um, that Jesus did not come in the flesh. That's the spirit of the Antichrist because he wants to divide who the real Christ is. He wants to divide who the real Christ is. First uh, John four four. Little children, you are from God, and have overcome them. Little children, people that John is speaking to in the church that remained in the church, you are from God and have overcome them. Them, the separatists, those who left the church and went elsewhere, the Gnostics, the heretics that left, that separated themselves. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he. The Spirit of God, uh, Spirit of Christ, God. He who is in the, or sorry, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And because Jesus came in the flesh, he who is in us as believers in Christ Because he came in the flesh, he is able to sympathize with every single kind of temptation, as the scriptures say. So do you experience loneliness? Do you experience um, the temptation of despair? Do you experience the temptation of, I don't know what to do in this conflict, so I'm just going to turn and go the other way? Do you experience sexual temptation? Do you experience any kind of temptation that you can think about? 
Jesus himself was tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. He took on the likeness of sinful flesh, and yet he did not sin. He was like us in every way but one. He was one of us, but he was nothing like us. Again, this idea of earth and heaven coming together in the person of Christ. And so he can sympathize with us as our great high priest. He can sympathize. And that's why the one that in, who is in us, why we can overcome the world, because he was able to overcome the world. He was able to experience the same things that we experience and struggle with in a day-to-day life, with rejection, whatever, you name it. But again, he always chose the Father's way. He always chose to trust the Father. It didn't mean he didn't struggle. Struggling is not necessarily a sin, right? He was, he was tempted in every way as we are tempted and yet without sin. So of course, the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And that's why John can say, he who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. And so one of the beautiful things about uh, Christ coming in the flesh is that he knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to, to, to be tempted with this and with that. And yet where we constantly fall and constantly fail, he is victorious. And so as we place our faith in him, and he kind of does this swap with us where he puts his life inside of us, we can be overcomers. That we can overcome the world by coming under and submitting to the beauty and the provision that Christ has by the cross. Worship team, if you want to come up. So in the middle of our service today, we're going to remember the cross. We're going to remember the, the body of Christ. We're going to remember the blood of Christ as we take communion. And remember about this provision of like he is human. He is divine. He knows what it's like to be tempted, and yet he did everything without sin. And because of that provision that is in him, and he comes inside of us, we can then overcome. We can then overcome the things in the world as we attach ourselves, as we believe and have faith in Christ Jesus. We overcome by coming under the provision and the beauty of Christ crucified. And so we remember again and again the power of the cross and how it takes us who are just dust and it infuses us with eternal life. That his life inside of us, his life inside of us is the power of the cross. It's not by our works It's not by trying over and over again to overcome the world. It's by him and us that we're able to overcome the world. And so this table is open. Uh, Dennis and Elaine, if you want to come down. This table is open to those of you who would um, believe and receive in the provision of Christ crucified, that we come here to remember Christ's body on the cross that was broken. We remember the blood of the new covenant that was poured out upon the cross Um, If you are here with um, a parent or supervisor, please check with them as far as they are your authority as far as taking communion. If they say uh, no or whatever, be okay with that. There's good reason for that. Um, If it's okay with them, then do it. Take this time to reflect on who Christ is, his provision for us in the cross. And remember this from Revelation 1.5. We remember that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Jesus Christ loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood.
by his blood. He takes this dust, this creation that was good and yet fallen, and he infuses us with eternal life, forgiving us of our sins, walking with us, putting us back together with God. And he who is in us as believers in Christ is greater and can overcome those that are in the world. Let's go back to 1 John 4, if you want to take your Bibles. 1 John 4, starting back in in verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So just to get the the we's and the me's and the those and the thou's correct here. So he's saying that they, those that left, the separatists, okay, are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. When he's saying we there, he's not saying the collective we. He is saying we, the apostles. We, those uh, men and women that experienced Christ in the flesh and who Jesus gave authority in the scriptures to, to start this on earth as it is in heaven thing that Christ was doing. So it's saying we, it's not talking about all of us. In the text specifically, it's talking about the apostles. We are from God. The apostles are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, the apostles. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us, the apostles. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And that's, th- you can read that and it can be like, that's pretty arrogant. You know what I mean? Let me tell you if you're right or wrong. You listen to me and you're in the right. You know what I mean? If, I, if, if most of us would say that to some degree, we'd be like, the other person listening would be like, yeah. We'd be like, you're arrogant and so I'm not going to listen to you. But that's not what the scripture says and that's not what John is saying. John is saying that we've experienced the apostles We've experienced um, Christ in the flesh in a way that you will experience Christ in the flesh to come in the, in the new heaven and the new earth where you will actually touch him. You will physically touch him even though there's going to be this crazy, weird spiritual union with him and his bride and everything. He's also going to be a physical person. You need to listen to us. We are giving you the truth, not these people. They, are, they went out from us into the world because they are from the world. They only listen to the world. The world only listens to them because the world... And its sinful uh, part and its twisted part wants to divide Christ and wants to divorce earth and heaven from one another in Christ. Listen to us. Listen to the apostles' teachings. So on a broader scope, two things practically for us. One, don't take for granted the fact that we have the apostles' teachings, okay? And we have the prophets' teachings. And we have the law. That we have... Uh, the canon of scripture and of the Bible. Can we read this and manipulate it to our own ways, have leaders and teachers and false everything taken it? Has Satan taken the word of God and manipulated it? Yes. That doesn't mean we need to stay away from it. That means in humility and in prayer, we go and listen and read through the text that we have. And let's just start there. Let's not Let's not um, worry about all the other things. Well, I don't want to get into this. I don't want to study the word because I have no idea what it says and this and that. And that's a good. Reading the word of God and studying the word of God are not the same thing. But let's let's, uh, take advantage of the gift of uh, the scriptures that God has given us in the Bible. The gift of the apostles' teachings that are written down in these pages. 
Because all of Scripture points to Christ. That's what Christ says through the witness of the apostles. That every single page, whether it's law, whether it's prophets, whether it's psalm, all somehow point to me, point to Christ, he says in Luke, at the end of Luke. And it's by his spirit that he opens up our minds to be able to see this, to see his provision. And it's like a journey. It's like an adventure. But there, it has boundaries. It has restrictions that are made for life and for uh, a different kind of life rather than lawless, do-whatever-you-want kind of life. And that life is a lot better than the life without him. And regardless of that, he's God. You know what I mean? Regardless if we benefit from who God is, God is still God. Christ is still Christ. He deserves our attention, our praise, and we ask for grace to be able to turn our hearts towards him. So that's the first thing. Second thing, again, this idea going back to testing the chicken, so test the spirits, and this idea of selective hearing in our heads, selective hearing. Turn to Jeremiah 26. Jeremiah 26. So, um, will we, by, be, will we, by God's grace, listen to the spirit of truth when it comes? The spirit of truth can come in multiple ways. And one of the ways it can come that kind of scares us is in a spirit of affirmation. Be like, well, why wouldn't someone want to be affirmed? Because being affirmed in who you are in Christ might actually disrupt your world like crazy. I, I can't do that, Lord. You know, I'm just, I, I had this in my past and I still struggle with this and everything else. And yet Jesus would come to us and say, my grace is sufficient. He would say, well, I identify as this thing here. It's like, you're no longer that. You're a child of God in me. And so the spirit of truth comes at times and it affirms us. And that's actually really scary. She's like, I can I can do that by your power, by your grace. Maybe I can't change the experience or the situation around me, but the way I interact with it, I can, I can, I can, I can do that. I don't have to do, it doesn't have to be what it's always been. Nothing else can change, and yet something can change here because you're affirming me in a spirit of truth. I don't know, and that's kind of scary. The other side of things, spirit of affirmation, is a spirit of discipline too, right? So Jeremiah 26 Pretend you're not Jeremiah. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about why you shouldn't pray. I can't wait to preach that sermon. And where it says in Scripture, when you shouldn't pray, which is awesome. It's actually really challenging. And you should pray, everybody. But there are certain times in Scripture where it says that don't pray, instead do this. Um, but right now, as we read this, don't put yourself in the, in the place of Jeremiah. Don't pretend to be the prophet. Pretend to be the people. Pretend to be the people, not the prophet. Okay? So starting in verse uh, 2. Thus says the Lord, from uh, Jeremiah, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. It may be they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way. That I may relent of the disaster that I intended to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I have set before you and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. So that's the word that comes. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people took hold of him, took hold of Jeremiah, saying, You shall die. 
Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, this house shall be like Shiloh, and the city shall become desolate, without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. It keeps going. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entryway of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and all the people, this man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your own ears. And so what's going on here is that Jeremiah is actually prophesying for the city in order for it to repent in order for it to be what it's meant to be in the eyes of God. But do the people hear that? What they hear is that, why are you speaking against the city? Why are you speaking against my school? Why are you speaking against this church? Why are you speaking against Lebanon? Everything's good. We're here on a Sunday getting together. We're going to come and worship. We're here, aren't we? But the people won't hear the second part of it, you know, that there's evil in their midst, that there's stuff going on, and they need to repent and follow God's prophets, and follow God's ways and commands, so that disaster does not come upon them. Because he will bring disaster if there is this idol that's within them. Because God's people are meant to be God's people, and he is a jealous God, and will not have them be a people that are after some foreign god or some idol, whether that's uh, old, old school religion-y idols, or whether that's modern day idols. But again, it's like, Daddy, why are you so mean to me? Why did you take my Disney princess dolls? I can't believe, and I'm, I'm saying it's because you didn't clean up. That I asked you to do something and you weren't, you didn't do it, and so this is what's going to happen. But we always want to selectively hear the thing, the meanness of God towards us, rather than what's going on in the bigger scheme of things. We need to hear the whole sentence. There's this thing, which it's one of those, those sermon pastor illustrations that are it's probably completely false. I'm just saying that off the bat. But I've heard somebody say before, God told me to go to, uh, to India. India it was. God told me to go to India. And then nothing worked out in the way it, it was planned. And then they went uh, again and, and tried to hear from the Lord again. He said, well, I actually said I want you to go to Indiana. And so there was this idea. It's like, oh, I know what you're saying. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go right now. I heard what I wanted to hear rather than hearing the whole word of the Lord. Rather than listening to the spirit of truth that ultimately, even if it hurts, brings life. Brings life. Because God is for us. He is definitely against sin. And he will do whatever he can. And he did whatever he can. And so one of the beauties, again, of Jesus in the flesh is this idea that he had a hard word spoken to him over and over again right? Before we get there, back of the bulletin, two quotes. It takes two to speak the truth, one to speak and another to hear. It takes two to speak the truth, one to speak and another to hear. And then this other quote from C.S. Lewis, in faith as in war and everything else, comfort is the one thing you cannot get by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth. Only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with and in the end, despair. So what Lewis is saying there is that if we're not willing to receive the spirit of truth and we just want a spirit of comfort or a spirit of even condemnation, sometimes we would desire condemnation over affirmation because it would mean that our inner and our outer world would change too much. And we're used to the way the things are. But he's saying ultimately that leads to despair. Because anything God is doing towards his creation through the blood and redemption of Christ, 
is for them to be completely human, to glorify him in the glory that he deserves. And he is for us. God loves the world. He hates sin. And he will not, he will not be manipulated or played with in any kind of way, molded into our image. Rather, we are transformed into his image as we gaze upon Christ on the cross. So again, Jesus, the beauty of Jesus in the flesh is that he heard this hard word right from the start. He told his disciples over and over again that I'm going to go and I'm going to die and I'm going to go to the cross. And his disciples didn't want to hear it at times, right? He had that whole interaction with Peter saying, get behind me, this is the Lord's will. And it could have been just like this, you know, heady thing that I know what I'm doing, I'll be obedient and everything. But then we see this very human picture of Jesus in the garden. And he's sweating blood and he's in distress. He's being tempted every single way and he want, his heart, his human heart, which again, isn't, this isn't a bad thing, and he wasn't sinning in this, didn't want to go through with it. Or he wanted to go through with it in a different way, right? That's what the text says. That, Father, if there is any other way for this to happen, please let it be. I've heard the spirit of truth. I've heard the word of truth. It's too much. I, I don't know if I can bear it. He does it again. He does it again. And there Christ is victorious because he says, not my will be done, but yours, Father, be done. Not my will be done, but yours be done. And so in Christ, Christ went to the cross. Christ suffered disaster, not because of his disobedience, but because of his obedience. Christ suffered disaster on the cross, not because of his disobedience, but because of our disobedience. And he is victorious on the cross. He, can, he heard the word of truth. He wrestled with it. He continued on into the Father's will. And now that, that spirit of Christ is within us as believers in Jesus. And because of that, we can then overcome again. Not because of us, but because of the provision and the beauty and the supremacy of what Christ did on the cross. That we can hear those hard words, wrestle through them, but ultimately follow God because of him, because of the cross, and because of the strength and the weakness and godliness that he showed on the cross, we can have strength even in the midst of our weakness. And so what happens then is that we can receive with the spirit of Christ in us, with the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world, we can both receive this, this word of affirmation, say, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, because you are in Christ. But then we can also brace ourselves and know that in grace and know that um, in the way that the world is and the situations and experiences that are terrorizing our personal lives, our communal lives, our city lives, whatever, is that we can also hear that word of truth that says, this is going to hurt like hell, but it's because I love you. And then we can actually hear both of those things. We can hear both this idea of, I love you, and this is going to hurt like hell, because that's what Jesus heard on the cross. And he tuned his ear to the Father's voice. Because of him, we can tune our ears to the Father's voice. You know, we're not perfect, yada, yada, yada. But that reality, that truth, is what the scriptures are telling us. So we need to have grace with one another, grace for ourselves, receive grace from God, but realize that a lot of times when we're acting out of something, it's because we're acting out of our own self rather than the provision of Christ.
So when the spirit of truth comes and wants to birth something new, we can breathe and we can receive it and we can cry and weep about it and be like, why, Lord? Like, you love me that much? Why, Lord? There's no way I can do that. I just want to keep things the way that they are. But we can overcome because he overcame. So these words of truth that come to us don't need to be this huge, big, disastrous. If you don't do this, it could be very small things in our lives that are really important to listen to. So those things that we had in our minds from earlier today, what I would like us to do for like literally two minutes, break into groups of three or four, and I would like you to pray this over one another, okay? And all that means is that you read this over one another and have one or two people pray that we would be a people by God's grace to receive the spirit of truth, that by his grace that he would come to us and that by his grace we would actually take in the spirit of truth. So do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test the chicken, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.